Isn't, isn't it brilliant that the kids are back in church? Isn't it brilliant? Isn't it the, the noise and the, the hubbub? For, for quite some time, I was, the, the kind of ministry team were just preaching to the cameras. None of, none of you were here. And, and, and folks are still at home, and that is wonderful. We, we are delighted to have you there but it is good to be together as church, to, to join together, to make a mess together. I'm looking, there's, you might not see this down my feet, there's, there's Starbust wrappers and there's Milky Way stars bags. It's, it's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. Church, if it's messy, it means there's life. Church is like family, and that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. We're going to offer, I'm going to offer you a, f- a few different pictures that the Bible tells us of what church is and how it, how it all works together and, and how Jesus sees it, how Paul sees it, how our Father sees it as a source of encouragement for us to inspire us that, that this point feels like a, 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 there's been a line drawn in the sand, if you wish, and, and there is a, a, a new season that we're entering into. You know, that folk have been saying that we're, uh, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And we, we, may, we may never get out of the tunnel. There, there might be a train coming towards us. It might be all that sort of stuff. But we believe in a gospel of hope, of life. And we believe that no matter what is happening, God is leading us through. So I, I, I just want to start with a, a wee story that I think sums up church in a, in a nutshell. There was a teacher who was helping, his, helping her, her kids get out for a, a, a day in the puddles. And there was one wee boy who couldn't get his wellies on. He was really struggling to get his wellie boots on. And, and so the teacher came and gave him a hand and the boots still didn't want to go on. Finally, she got the second boot on, and she'd worked up a real sweat, but the wee boy said to her, teacher, these are on the wrong feet. And it wasn't any easier taking the boots off. It wasn't any easier pulling the boots back off. And then together, they worked the the boots back on to the right feet, at which point the wee boy announced, miss, these aren't my boots. (laughs) Ah! No sooner had they taken the boots off again, he said, these are my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them today. <laughs> and you can, you can almost hear the te- teachers among us, you're feeling this. Uh, it's, it's just a little story for you going back to school this week. Eventually, she summed up the grace and the courage to wrestle the boots back on a final time. She then helped him into his coat, and then she said, and where are your gloves? (laughs) To keep them safe, miss, I stuffed them into my boots. (laughs) 
Church can feel like that sometimes, can't it? That you try and you do your best and still it doesn't work out the way that you want it. Like you're pushing a wheelbarrow up a hill without a wheel. And it's the same in any given church. But the thing that we have to remember is that it's not our church. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's God's church. And sometimes when you don't get your way, perhaps someone else is getting their way, or maybe God is working His way through it. In any given church, there are wonderful, Spirit-filled people, followers of Jesus, full of wisdom and integrity. And they're all, you know, I can, I, I look anywhere and I see them all here this morning, and I can think of folks across the world that I've met that I know who are these people. But sometimes, sitting right next to these folks, uh, I'm making sure I don't look at anybody at this point, <laughs> sometimes sitting next to those folks are people that we call grace growers, folks that just at every turn seem to just wind you up. It's like they've got their wellies stuffed with gloves. They tut. They have the gift of the tut. Do you know anyone who's got the gift of the tut? You do anything. They complain. And in your, and in your more sinful ways, you wonder if they've ever heard about Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, some days you are that wonderful, spirit-filled person, aren't you? You're full on for Jesus. You're going for it. You're worshiping. You're, you're doing everything. You just are there. And then the balloon loses its air. And you're one of those grace growers. I'm one of those grace growers. I know that I'm a sinful man, but for Jesus, but for Jesus. And we're all in that situation. And that is what church is. Because church is full of people. I was asked in, in the, when we did our pulpit exchange with David in Coronado a few years ago, uh, sometimes American folks are, are much more in your face. And one chap came up to me and said, so what do you think is the best thing about church and what's the worst thing about church? That's a terrible accent, I do apologize. <laughs> and, and it took me a beat, and then I said one word, people. People are the best thing about church. Obviously, Jesus is the best thing about church. But church on earth, people are such a blessing, and sometimes people can be such a pain in the neck. It's, it's, it, you'll not find that in Scripture, but you'll find that this is what church is. It's the wheat and the tares. It's, it's the good and the bad. But because every church is full of people, each and every one of us are full of vices and virtues, and each one of us as Christians are battling with both our vices and our virtues. And if the church is left itself, it will battle as well. So the the title of this series, as we walk through the Apostles' Creed, is I Believe. 
And today we are thinking about how we believe in the church. And the full title in the Apostles' Creed is, I believe in the holy and Catholic church. That's what the Apostles' Creed tells us, the holy and Catholic church. Now, we're going to delve into this just a little bit. First of all, let's look at holy. Why, when we see so many faults with the church, does the creed say it's holy? Well, the church is holy because of God's action in Jesus Christ. The church is holy not because of us, but because of what God has done in Jesus. The church is holy. It's pure. That's what holy means, to be pure and set apart. It's pure and set apart because of what Jesus has done for us. The church is actually God's gift. It's more than a gathering of people. It's more than a gathering of believers. It is called into being by God. And as the people of God worship the Father through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, the church is alive on the earth. Now, the church is called to be holy. The church is called to be salt, and it's called to be light. And every time I think of the church being called salt, I remember John Stott and the words that he spoke. John Stott, amazing theologian, when we were at Keswick, it was a hundred years since his birth. They were celebrating that at the Keswick Convention when we were there this last week while. And John Stott, John Stott said this about the church. If the church is supposed to be and called to be salt and light, why do the people of Jesus complain that the world is going to ruin? Because meat, if it's left to itself, will decay. But the church is to be that salt that preserves what is good in the world. So rather than complaining, the church should be out there shining its light, bringing its restorative, preservative powers to the world, rather than sitting back and complaining. A salt shaker that holds salt is not meant to be left in the cupboard. And so the church is called to bring good news, to bring the good news of a God who loves the world and died for it. We're not called to sit back and complain, but to step out. And that's, I think that's part of the calling of being a holy church. The creed also says that the church is Catholic. Now, this is not referring just to one branch of the church, the Roman Catholic Church, but Catholic means universal, means worldwide. And the church is to be of all ages, of all backgrounds, of all situations. The church is across the world, and it's to be open to all and welcoming to everyone, welcoming to everyone without judgment so that they can meet with Jesus. That's what we hope for. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're striving for. But of course, church is not always like that, is it? We struggle to connect with each other. We struggle to get through with the stuff that is maybe not what we would like. We're also seen from the world outside 
to be boring, irrelevant, untrue. But today, I want us to get to the good news. I want us to get to the good news because we've been focusing maybe on the bad. We want to reflect on how the church is called into being and how it is seen by Jesus and how we're called to reflect that love and grace. So what I'd like to do is give you five, five pictures from the Bible. There are many amazing pictures in the Bible of what the church actually is, but I would love to share five of them with you today to show why I think the church is the most amazing entity on this planet. First of all, we read our reading this morning to give you a little flavor, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. Can we say that together? We are also members of His household. Let's say it together. Also members of His household. Let that sink in just for a minute. And we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. You too are being built together to become a dwelling in which lives God by His Spirit. Amen. Thanks be to God. So, first picture I want to share with you this morning, that we are the people of God. The, the descriptions of church in the Bible is the word ecclesia, ecclesia from the Greek, and it is a gathering. It's interesting that it wasn't ever used in the Old Testament. It's borrowed from Greek times in, in the New Testament, and it was a, usually a local kind of government council meeting, but the, the apostles, they took that word and they used it to describe the people of God, a gathering of God. So, the church is not a building. You've heard this many times in, in lockdown when we've not been able to meet. We are the people of God. And rough estimate, there's about a billion of us Christians across the world. And the New Testament mentions three types, the large, the medium, and the small. And they're all key, and they're all vital. When the apostles were together. They met in the temple. They still continue to go to the temple and worship God there, but they also met in houses together. We were at Keswick, and that was a large gathering, a large gathering of Christians together, which is wonderful. And I would say that this is, this is our regular meetings, isn't it? It's, it's not the big celebrations. This is our regular meetings where we gather together as a congregation, online and in the building. And then we also need the small because even this size of a building and this amount of people even in here today, you can't get a chance in an hour on a Sunday to get to know each other. You can't do life together in the time that we have on a Sunday morning. So we encourage you as a church leadership to meet together in smaller groups, whatever that small group looks like. It might be a, a prayer triplet with your, your best pals. It might be a house group. We encourage house groups. We encourage you to get involved in house groups. It's how we grow. It may be the guild. 
It may be Yorkie. There's all sorts of different groups that we, we offer, but also you go and do what you like yourselves. You know, we, we're not going to dictate to you how you meet together to grow to be more like Jesus. We just want you to grow to be more like Jesus. They're all key. They're all vital. Because when the people of God gather together, it means God is involved. We believe that God is here in this building today, and His presence is among us. We believe that miracles happen. We believe that God is at work, and we want to see more. We want to see more of God moving in His power in our lives, even when it's tough. We want to see people transformed. I've nearly been here 20 years. 20 years nearly. I know, I look so young. But 20 years, next year I'll have been here. And I have seen God move in amazing ways from 2002 to 2021. I've seen people transformed. I've seen miracles happen. I've seen miracles not happen, but it means we, it doesn't mean we stop praying for them. We continue to seek God, and we believe, I believe, that He moves in His power, and He changes. He changes people as His Spirit is at work. He heals, He renews, and you don't get this anywhere else on earth. You only get this in heaven. So we are the people of God, and we're excited about being the people of God. But we're also the family of God. The Bible tells us that when we come to Jesus, we become co-heirs with Jesus, and we are adopted into the family. We are in His household. we members of His household. We've read it already together this morning. When we become followers of Jesus, we enter into relationship with Him. We're adopted into the family. Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. He's our brother but also we get brothers and sisters. So just turn and have a wee look around. You are brothers and sisters to each other. You're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, that sounds a little bit of a cliche, doesn't it? But actually, it's amazing. It's amazing that we become co-heirs with, with the Son of God, with the Savior of the world, but also that we become part of a family that is at least a billion strong. We become part of a family that is the amazing plan of God. But if you're anything like our family, there will be squabbles and arguments. And it's true, isn't it? It always kind of grieves you when you find out that people have fallen out or that people have a, an issue with you or, you know, just get... just explode at you one, one morning for saying the wrong thing. People can fall out. We can get upset with each other, but it doesn't change our relationship. If I fall out with my, my earthly brother, we're still brothers. We're still brothers from the same mother. The relationship does not change, even if it looks like there is divisions. The church is still one, but we're not to settle for disunity. Jesus prayed that the church would be one in John chapter 17. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul continues to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Jesus came to the earth. Jesus left the earth, and He gave us His Spirit. And the incarnation demands a united church. And we must never, ever give up on that. But not at the expense of truth. 
it, it's not it's not happened lately. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses folks they are are sending out letters because they've not been able to knock on doors. But it usually drives Donna mad when the Jehovah's Witnesses come round because I I love to chat to them. I love to have a conversation, and and we'll stand on the door for for quite some time. Um, and, and Donna's usually wanting us to go out for walk the dog or something, and it, it, it's just one of those things. But it's fascinating because the last time the, the folks from the JWs came to our house, I, I had, a, had a, a big long talk, and I, I said to them, it was a Sunday, it was after church, and, and I said to them, well, for me as a Christian, it's all about Jesus. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, it says in Ephesians, by grace we've been saved. And I said to him, that's where you and I would differ. And, and the, the chap said, I've never heard of this grace thing before, which kind of shocked me. And I said, well, I'm happy to meet again if you want to go away and have a think about it. So he went away and he had a think about it. And the following Sunday they came back and Donna rolled her eyes again. And, and we had this discussion, and he said, no, I just don't believe it. I don't believe it's by grace that we're saved. And, and as you dig deeper, you, you discover that, that Jesus, for, for the Latter-day Saints, for the Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is not seen as God. And that is the line where I can't cross. For me, Jesus is fully man, fully human, and fully God. And if folks can't hold to that, that's where I split. But we need to remember what Rupert Meldinius said on the essentials unity, non-essentials liberty, but in all love. And Raniero Cantamalesa, the preacher to the, the Pope, says that when Christians fight, we're asking God to choose between his children and God loves all of his children, as should we. And we need to love each other as the children of God, even when we disagree. Fellowship in the church is different from anything else I've ever witnessed. Koinonia is the word, and we need to be in it to experience it. We cannot be Christians on our own. A solitary Christian is an oxymoron. And it's interesting that when we stop meeting together, we tend to lose our fire for the Lord. We lose our enthusiasm when we neglect our fellowship. And there's that story of the, I'm, I'm not going to go into it too deeply, but the, the guy who had sought to come to church and the minister came by and there was a roaring fire in front of him and he didn't say a word. He just took the coal with the tongs out, put it on the side and the fiery coal just gradually turned to black and he chucked it back in, and he walked out. And the boy was back in church on the Sunday, and he said, thanks for your fiery sermon the other day. You know, when we meet together, there's a fire kindled in our hearts, which has been a huge hurt in this lockdown. So we're the people of God, we're the family of God, we're also the body of Christ. When Paul was Saul on the road to Damascus, and he met with Jesus, Jesus said to him, after he'd been persecuting the Christians, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? 
The church is one body, and when one part suffers, they all suffer. And it might be that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 12, thinking about Jesus' words to him when he says, we are just as one body, many parts, but in all its many parts form one body. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And then there's the other, but it's not in the Bible, it's a wee joke, it says, if, if, if the body didn't have a nose, how would it smell? And the answer is terrible, but that, that's something completely different. Sorry, I just digressed there. But you see, what Paul is talking about is that if one part feels inferior, then the whole body suffers. And if one part feels superior, the whole body suffers. You don't say, my head has an ache, do you? You don't, you don't, you don't come out of a sermon and go, my head has an ache. You say, I've got a headache. We're one. We're all in this together. We are the body of Christ joined together. If one is honored, all are honored. We're in it together. And I think perhaps in our tradition, we've been too pulpit-centered. Maybe in other traditions, too altar-centered, got off the mass. Or we're too, well, the minister does all the work. Or we, we do what he tells us, or we do what she tells us. You know, it's that idea of that person up the front is doing what he's doing, so we'll just, we'll just go along. But actually, we're all in it together. We're all ministers. We're all ministers of Christ. We're all one together. We're all evangelists. We're all carers. We're part of an awesome team. Are you still with me? You still here? Good. We're also the holy temple. The only building mentioned in the New Testament is a building of people. Jesus is our cornerstone, our firm foundation. So what does that make us? We're living stones. The tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament were key for God's presence. But when Jesus came, he tore the curtain. The Holy of Holies was revealed. Access to the Father was through Jesus, and then the Spirit descended, and so each one of us, each one of us are the temple of God. And when Christians gather together, there's power and presence that's found nowhere else. And nothing can replace presence. I didn't marry Donna for the stuff that she had. If that was the case, I would have got, well, I would have got a, a, a boy racer car. I would have got a wardrobe. I would have got piles and piles of paper. Paper, I'm not sure what we did with that. But I didn't marry Donna for what she had. I married Donna for who she was and for her presence. Whenever I'm away from home, I get homesick. But if I'm away with my family, I never get homesick because their presence is with me. And it was the presence of God that was lost with Adam and Eve in the garden. When they were expelled from Eden, 
the presence was taken. And through the tabernacle and the temple, the presence was promised. But it was only when Jesus came that the presence of God has remained with the power of the Spirit among us. We are a holy temple in which the Holy Spirit resides. And finally, the reason I love the church is because it is the bride of Christ. That is how the church is described. The bride of Christ, which is loved by Jesus. Jesus died for the church to make her pure and blameless. And it may not often look that way, but that's what Jesus sees, and that's what He intends for His church. And our response to His love should be love for Him and living for Him so that we become fit to be His bride. He sees us as the bride of Christ, but we need to strive to become that beautiful bride of Christ. Like I mentioned before, I've been here a wee while. I've done, I'm not even sure how many weddings I've done in this, in this place, but every wedding that I have done I've never, ever seen a bride come down the aisle in her tracksuit. No, it's true. I, I, I don't think anyone ever has seen a bride come down the aisle dressed in a tracksuit with her hair in curlers. Even, even grooms, you know, scrub up for, for the, the wedding here. But my point being that every bride spends... I would say our, they, have a, they have a rehearsal, don't they? They have a, a, a hair and makeup rehearsal. And, and, and every bride that I've seen has been beautiful and made ready for her groom. And that's what we need to strive for as church. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says these words, You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness in his marvelous light. We are to worship and we are to witness. What's the chief end of man? Oh, nobody knows our kind. To glorify, let's say it together if you know it. Folks might not know it. It's, it's, it's a wee bit older. Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Worship and witness. Glorify Him and enjoy Him. Let others know about Him. And so church should never be boring or dull. We are the people of God. We are called into being by Jesus. We are called to worship Him, to witness to Him of the good news that He has planted in us. Our message is eternal but sometimes we have to change how we deliver that message. I've seen lives transformed in this place. It's amazing to see. And God is still on the move. God is still at work. People are still searching for Him, and He wants to be found. So I just want to share a little video that sums up what church is to me. Just to give you a little bit of background, you might hear a bit more on the, on the video, but it's the, the last race of the decathlon at the Olympics, the 1,500 meters, and Cedric Dubler has no chance of getting a medal 
in this decathlon. He's, he's out of the race. He'd fallen in one of the earlier events. But Ash Mulroney has the opportunity for a bronze medal. But round about the 800-meter mark and the 1,500 meters, he flags. And so you see what Cedric is doing for him. So we're just going to see this video. And this. The Aussie spirit burned bright over the past two weeks in Tokyo, and now it's starting to make global headlines. Australian decathlete Cedric Dubler became a one-man cheerleading band during the final leg of the event as he urged his fellow Aussie, Ash Maloney, across the finish line. Sprinting around the final corner, Cedric yelled encouragement to his exhausted teammate who was in pursuit, of course, of a bronze medal. And look at that moment, it worked. Maloney is the first Australian ever to win a medal in the decathlon. And Ash Maloney and Cedric Dubler join us now live from Tokyo. Look at them still smiling. The relationship, boys, between you is just incredible to watch on the, on the track and off. Cedric, take us inside that moment. What made you cheer Ash on? This is going to be one of those defining Olympic moments. I don't know if that's kind of dawned on you yet from over there. Yeah, for me, it was a, a stressful race because I was just trying to, trying to take a bit of pressure off Ash, pace him through his race, keep track of where everyone was. And when we came down to the final lap, we were, we were kind of getting a little bit close to, to falling out of the medal. So I had to just drop back and, and just start screaming at him, get that fight or flight response out of him. And, and we got him there. Ash, was there any moment there that you're thinking, oh, stop yelling at me? What's <laughs> really helping? Because we all take it that it was amazing and he was just helping you so much and help driving you on. No, I was loving it the whole time. Like, when you're in a 1500, you have so many voices in your head telling you to stop because it hurts. And having Cedric there just blurring them all out and screaming in my brain, it was incredible. I loved every moment of it. Cedric, we, we just, um, it, it is just an incredible thing. We can't, we want to ask you what you said, um, but we, we can't do that. <laughs> um, just, just give us a sense of um, sacrificing your own race uh, and, and what it felt like then at the very finish line uh, to see how this played out. For me, it, it wasn't even an option running my own race because uh, there was so much on the line for Ash. Um, I had I'd fouled out in the pole pot earlier in the competition, so... I was pretty much sitting in dead last in the competition, um, but with a bronze medal on the line and um, and being able to help someone that I've trained with for probably seven years now, um, yeah. that, that wasn't even an option for me. Well, did you know that Bruce McAvaney has said we have a new saying, it's called doing a doobler and that is encouraging your mates. Well done to you both, we love it. It's going to be like doing a Bradbury, Stephen Bradbury from the Winter Olympics. It's doing a doobler. It's a thing. See you too. Congratulations. The motivational speaker. <laughs> so, doing a doubler, dropping back, sacrificing yourself to spur somebody else on. That's what church is. That's what church is called to be. This is home. This is as near as heaven as you can get on earth. So don't neglect it. Love it. Scream at it. Get it going. And share. 
worship and witness. Give him all the glory and bring as many as you can with you. Ruby's going to come and pray for us. Thank you.